1: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
2: Hello, hi. I want to test out my new NPR voice at the beginning of the podcast and say, Hi, this is Dave, and you are listening to Biscuits, a hockey podcast. You know who I am because I already said my name. So now it's the time when the other person on the podcast says their name. Hello, hello Ottawa. That
0: was very calming.
2: Yeah, this is my new voice now. It's my new radio. you He does voice.
0: the entire podcast in this voice. I want to read he books can online. Start yelling at each other about goalie <laughs> interference
2: or whatever. Goalie interference is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of hockey. We go well, live yeah. to Sean in Ottawa to tell us why he thinks interference is great. Sean, hi. Hey everyone, it's <laughs> Sean in Ottawa. So you oh. have you you have a different take. So so we're gonna just do this real quick because we are the interference in Ottawa Senators <laughs> podcast that you tune into. We're every not week. doing this real quick. This is gonna be fifty five minutes. Of our one-hour podcast. Well, I feel like you need to really explain yourself because I feel like the entire free world, including the entertainment, music, and TV world, all agrees that that was a really bad decision by wow. Toronto, and you're 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 the truther of interference on in, this. So, truth incorrect. Me, I truth can us. tell you
0: based on the reaction to my take on what night was it even Tuesday night. Uh, Whenever it was Yeah, it was Tuesday. As I was as I was sitting in bed watching people meltdown over the uh, Panthers, Predators, last second, no goal. Uh, I can tell you when when I voiced my opinion that that call didn't seem that bad to me, the initial reaction was was pretty much what you just described, that I was the only person in the world who thought that and and that I was an idiot who should reconsider my opinions. But I got to say, as the... As the night went on, like you know, even over the, just the you know the half an hour, hour, whatever it was, the tide started to turn, and I feel
2: like mm-hmm. the general yeah. population has come around to the correct side of this argument. The general population. So you're saying that you won the popular vote, even though you lost the election. Is what I you're feel saying. like. I, I feel like I won all of it. First of all, <laughs> I I understand that we are hockey
0: fans, and we have to like by law get way too excited whenever a celebrity notices that hockey exists but like the the fact that Carrie Underwood is mad is not she's
2: totally argument. objective Sean she has a yeah. complete objective eye when it comes to hockey I'm sorry like I feel like can we get like I don't know does Roberto Wongo's wife want to weigh in on this are we doing well I mean is she yeah. is she famous because if she's not then her opinion doesn't matter it's only famous people whose opinions matter exactly good that that is that is a good point <laughs> but you have to you have to agree though that even though you are seeing this through Colin Campbell glasses and you believe that that was clearly interference you have to agree that there wasn't enough there to overturn the call on the ice. Like if the call on the ice was interference and they went to review and said, well, we can't overturn it because there was at least a little something there, fine. But there's there are about 12 different interpretations of what happened there and they seem to settle on the one that was take the goal away and keep the playoff race interesting. That's that's just my take on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. first of all, I don't,
0: to, to correct the record, I don't think that this was clearly interference. Uh-huh. I think you can make a real good case that, that you just made, which is that you know if, if there was interference, it didn't rise to the level that should have overturned a goal. I think you can make that case. I think you can make the case that there wasn't interference at all. I think you can make the case that there was interference that that should have uh, resulted in the call that we got. It, that's That's the whole problem
2: with goaltender interference no that's not the problem the problem is that you that the the problem isn't goaltender interference the problem is people seeing that and saying it is goaltender interference seeing that play and having not knowing what it is is fine and keeping the call on the ice is fine but seeing that and then having you know again no one has ever said hey we have a problem in hockey let's insert colin campbell into it and the problem got went went away it never does it gets worse. So to right. me, and, it's, it's and, not interference. And, it's how they interpret it in the reviews, the way they do with the catch no, in the NFL. It, it, it and, is uh, it is the fact that we have a review in the first place for oh, a subjective
0: call. That's fine. That's totally we should fine. have never had replay review for a call that is mostly subjective. You 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 read the rule like we've talked about on this podcast. The rule isn't that complicated, but the rule has two or three places where. You have to make a subjective uh, view. It's not black and white. It can't be black and white, and therefore we should not be holding up review because all these people crying about consistency and oh, it's uh, we don't know what the call is going to be. No, you don't because it's a gray area because it is subjective. And this is you know again this and 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 I count myself in this group because when they first brought this rule in, I thought it would be fine, but. What we've learned over the last three years is that this is not something that we should be reviewing at
2: all. Wait, period. three? Has it, has it been three years?
0: It's been three. This is the third year, yeah.
2: Of goalie interference reviews?
0: No. Yeah, 2015-16, they brought in goalie and and the offside reviews.
2: Man, it feels like it, feels like it was just yesterday.
0: Right. But- and and does it not feel kind of weird that we've had this for three years and yet it's only like this season that it's really blown up? And it, and, and I think that's... I don't think the calls have gotten worse. I think we just sort of hit a tipping point where everybody just got frustrated with it. But, you know, I here, here's here's what bugs me. And we can get, like, you know, I don't know if we, if we want to get into the specifics of, of the actual play from Tuesday. Because, you know, to my eyes, as I said, you know, as, as I tweeted out and as I was arguing with Lord knows how many people on Twitter that night, you know, to me, I see a player come in, he uses his stick stick gets, uh, you know, either intentionally or otherwise gets the stick into the goaltenders glove and he spins the goaltender around about 90 degrees. And that causes a puck that was covered, not frozen, but covered to squirt free. And they, and uh, Forsberg jumps on it and knocks it into the net. And you you can't do that. You can't use your stick to move and change a goaltender's position. You can't push a goaltender into the net when he's got the puck under him and expect that to be a goal. You can't push the goaltender
2: out of the way when he's got the puck under him and then jump on the puck. If that's what happened, sure. But I don't think that's what happened. I well, it's, I mean... That's why That's why I think you stay with the call on the you, ice. You
0: have to... Yeah, I mean, you have to believe one of two things. Because Roberto Luongo... Is is down in a position thinking he's made the save. I don't know if he thinks he has the puck under him or 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 what it is. But he's facing in one direction, and then a second later he has slowly rotated ninety degrees in the other direction. So you have to believe one of two things: either Uh the player, either Arvidsson, the player on the on the Predators, caused that, or you believe, as some people apparently do, that that's how a goaltender reacts to looking for a puck that he doesn't turn his head. He doesn't turn his whole body. He just slowly rotates in place. Like he's a probe droid from star Wars. Oh boy. Star Wars references. And he's, and and he just slowly circles around which is not how any
2: human being, but it is, reacts if, in that situation. If if a guy, if you know you don't have the puck, and Malonga knew we didn't have the puck, and the guy is coming towards you, and you think that guy knows where the puck is, you pivot your body to deal with him. That's why he reaches out with his blocker. That's why yes. he starts moving you, that way, and that's why pivot he pivots your body. At
0: which point, your body begins to move, or you know, the top part of your body moves differently than the bottom. Your entire body because not scrambling just rotates slowly around. Oh boy we've seen this at this this happens all the time what happens if you think the puck's behind you you either reach back with your glove or you turn back and you look with your head you don't just slowly rotate in place going i'm you know i'm no sense of urgency here i'll just i'll just kind of slowly but surely make my way around and then stop
2: it, it's it's easy to know. rotate when you're when you're not in a right in the right position when you're reaching out and initiating contact with a guy because you think that guy's about to get to the puck. That throws everything out of whack with your balance and that's why it's easier to move somebody if they just whack at whack at your pad. That does not it may be you know easier I mean? to move
0: somebody, but the point is you're
2: not allowed to move somebody.
0: Oh. You can't move the goaltender. It doesn't matter if it's easy or not. You can't put your stick into his glove and push him so that he, so that he slides he around. Didn't,
2: he didn't put it into his glove. He was, he was, he was whacking at a place where the puck wasn't even there anyway. He was just, he was just moving to the net, and Luongo kind of panicked and thought the puck might have been over there. And because he moved with Arvidsson, that freed the puck for for his. But see, this is what I mean, though. Like, there's no way that you you could see that replay and just automatically set sure. ass- and just say it's interference, and that's and, and, my bigger and, issue. And and yeah, and so here's here's my bigger point because
0: as as I was having this argument with people. I had, like I said, I had a lot of people disagree. I had a lot of people who agreed and and saw it the same way I did. But I had a a handful of people whose response to me was basically along the lines of, okay, this is now a thing that you're doing. You've become the contrarian when it comes to goalie interference. And you're now the guy who defends the league. And every time people are mad about goaltender interference, you're the guy who comes in and says, no, it's not that bad. (laughs)
2: People don't know this but Coley Campbell was your best man at your wedding, right? No. You, yeah, yeah, we're, we're close. We're tight. <laughs> and and here's the thing. For, if,
0: to just to reiterate, my opinion on goalie interference is we shouldn't have these reviews in the first place. So if 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 my goal is to get rid of the reviews entirely, saying that the league always gets them right would be a really weird way to go about doing that. Uh I you know, I think if I'm if my issue is, is at this point, it's not even so much with the rules or the calls. But I've basically kind of run out of patience with a lot of the reaction that's going on out there. Because I think we've hit a point where we can say that th- this has now become a thing. This is now something that if you're a hockey fan or you're in hockey media, you are expected to have a strong reaction to every goalie interference call. And I got to say, a lot of this stuff, looking at it now, is... That this isn't sincere. This isn't good faith arguments. These are people putting on performances at this point, because this is just what you do. Oh, come on. And it's becoming a contest to like, see who can, who can be the maddest or who can. And, and I'll just, I'll say this when it comes to that, that one play, if you want to say that that's interference, like I said, sure, that you can make a good argument there. I might agree with you. I might not you can make that argument. If you want to say it's not interference, you can make that argument. If you want to say, As you're saying that, hey, maybe it's interference, but it's not something that is enough to overturn a call. I think there's a real strong case to be made there. But if your reaction to seeing that play is to throw your hands up and say, I don't see anything at all. I'm completely confused. Whatever could the league have seen here? Why is the league overturning this call when absolutely nothing at all happened? You know what? Enough of that. Like I've really kind of had it with with that sort of reaction because I'm seeing more and more of that, and it's it's th- this is a subjective call. There's a gray area. We're never all going to agree. And I've if if I have any sort of stance other than get rid of the whole thing, it's that enough is enough with the the performances and the feigned confusion and everybody rushing to to just dump on every single call in the most over the top way possible. Uh, You know, this is what we get when we break everything down frame by frame when we on a call where we shouldn't. So, you know, maybe nobody should be surprised, but you know, if, if you can look at that play and say, I don't see anything at all. I, I don't, I really don't know what to tell you at this point.
2: How dare you. Accuse Kiefer Sutherland of performative anger, sir. That is that is a genuine man who has genuine feelings about goaltender interference. Uh, yeah, but he's not married to anyone, so. um. I think he's a Bruins fan too. I was trying to figure this out. Like, I don't think he's a Preds guy at all. I think he's maybe he is a Preds guy. I don't know. Why else would be Why else would he be watching a Predators Panthers game in the in the middle of the week? He's got stuff to do, doesn't he? I don't know. You would think. You would hope. Speaking of um, uh, interpreting uh, things around the net, uh, Eric Carlson's gone, right? Like he knows he 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 pulled that puck out of the net because he knows that's the last time he's going to be on that ice as an Ottawa senator. There's no other way to interpret that one, right? Like it's that's 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 pretty cut and dry.
0: Yeah that that was that that certainly <laughs> got some attention. Yeah, up here people didn't see it. This was earlier in the week. the The Senators' their season's still going on, but they play their last three games on the road. And so this was Eric Carlson's
2: last home game in Ottawa this season. Last game period, too, because he's not playing the last three on the road. So Yeah,
0: although we didn't know that at the time. But yeah. since then, they but he probably said did. that he's, but he he's probably, not going to. Yeah, he yeah, So, and he the, the game ends. I, I don't remember who they were playing or what the score was because nobody, nobody cares. But <laughs> he goes over and gets the puck and, like, stuffs it down his pants and skates off with it as you know he's taken this puck as a souvenir and you know people are like oh that's kind of an interesting thing that you don't normally see players do at the end of a season when they assume that they're they're coming back next year and uh and he was asked about it and you know he basically played it off as oh you know i'm just you know me just just yeah. The puck collector that I am just thought it would be just saw a puck's you know, fifty feet away and thought I'd skate over and uh and and grab it. But uh just yeah, wanna that... just
2: wanna commemorate this sixty-seven point season and put it in my trophy case with the rest of my stuff because it's really important. There. I guess the
0: question is, you know, if anything, the question here is did he do that thinking that this was probably or at least there was a very good chance it was his last game in ottawa did he do that just kind of thinking he would subtly get away with it or was this an intentional message or an intentional Uh, attempt to maybe provoke or hmm. uh, or or make a statement to i
2: don't know who um i see what you're saying yeah maybe maybe he's just like hey just, just FYI, in case you're on the fence, you're not sure if I want to stay here or not. Let me just show you. I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing the puck out of the net because this is my last game here, and and I'm prepared now to leave. Or he just maybe he's been talking to his agent since the trade deadline, and they have something lined up, and they're gonna do it once they get to the draft. I think it's more the second thing. I don't think he's. Like, I don't think he, like, if he took the puck out and then, like, waved to the crowd or, like, gave, like, double middle fingers up to the press <laughs> box, then maybe I'd be like, whoa, whoa, oh man, he must really want out. But yeah either, yeah, either way, however you want to interpret it, Eric Carlson's almost definitely played his last game in Ottawa, which means we have to change up the podcast a little bit because right now the two people we follow on the Biscuits Vice, uh, Vice Biscuits Twitter account are Eugene Melnick and Eric Carlson. So now we have to follow Melnick and I guess maybe Rasmus Dallin. Uh, I don't know about Bobby Ryan. We got to, we got to pick a new Senator. Well, the, the other
0: guy we could do, we could follow is Mark Stone because he had a comment this week where he, you know, again, this is the guy everybody forgets that he needs a new contract this summer. And he was asked something about that and he made some reference to, You know, his number one priority was making sure that the organization was headed in the right direction, (laughs) which in like 27 out of 31 markets would be a completely generic and cliched answer. But
2: in Ottawa, people are like, oh, wait. I don't know that's that's a pretty that's like a bold like in in basketball or football that would be like somebody saying like if they don't take care of me and this organization sucks I'm out of here that's basically what he said in just like very diplomatic coded language like you don't really hear players say that too often about
0: I mean I feel like it was it was that the organization was headed in the right it wasn't so much how they treated him like I feel like if someone on the blue jackets was like we got to be headed in the right direction somebody else could be like yeah you know they're team's not bad they're they're headed in the right direction sure and, and off you go but i just I, I do find it strange being here in ottawa listening to the outside world discuss the senators that like everyone's already moved on to like matt Duchesne's contract next year and and all this other stuff and it's like meanwhile their second best player like literally has two games left on his current contract and uh is eligible to be offer sheeted in an alternate universe where that was a thing that actually (laughs) happened
2: i was gonna say like it's funny he's talking like he's a ufa but really he has no power whatsoever like well let's see where the organization's going and the organization's like what are you kidding me you think someone's really going to offer sheet you have you seen in the nhl the past 10 years it just doesn't happen
0: well i mean if he has power i guess his power would be to say i'm only going to sign a contract for whatever like the one or two years left before he hits UFA
2: yeah do the exact I don't't don't,
0: I'm not i am not going to talk about an 8 year deal that's I want to I want a bridge deal but that's that's something that players very rarely do so I don't know maybe he's he's the next follow but yeah the the Carlson thing was interesting and you know it's just one more piece of evidence to throw on the the pile and you know again apologies to the many Ottawa fans that I heard from who were convinced that any talk of Eric Carlson being traded has just been invented by the mean Toronto media. Who
2: is that a thing? Just, really, people think yeah. that's like not real. Like it's a, it's a people, false people, flag.
0: People think it's it's the me, the media on. is taking this and turning it into a story so that they can get clicks. Because God knows,
2: yeah, as you know, the first rule <laughs> in
0: this business is if you want clicks. The Ottawa Senators are the team. that...
2: Right. You go for? Right. When you want to have a podcast that gets like fifty thousand downloads, here's what you <laughs> yeah. do: you start off by talking about the Florida Panthers, and then you move on yeah. to the Ottawa Senators. That's that's the key to pandering to the big audiences. Jesus, God. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, the Mark Stone thing is actually interesting because um, I I I I wish that more players were willing to do what Kirk Cousins did in the NFL, where he was just like, you know what, just it's it's not the same thing with franchise tags, but just. Do the Zach Parise thing where I'll go to arbitration every year until I'm a UFA, Mm -hmm. and this way I'm a UFA the second I can become a UFA, which is risky, I know, because it's hockey and, you know, you can be a a guy who's passive and not physical and blow out your knee on a knee-to-knee hit when Brad Marchand, you know, accidentally sticks his knee out for the ninth time in in a season and blows up your ACL – that, that kind of is the way you, you win leverage is if you have the guts to not take the bridge deal that eats up two years of your UFA deal. Like that that would be Mark yeah. Stone's leverage. you got to bet you on it. yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's
0: the same thing deal, but... with, you know, with some of these uh, young guys coming in, like, you know, McDavid and Eichel have signed, but with, you know, let's say Austin Matthews, if he, you know, everyone just assumes he's going to sign an eight-year deal and it's like, is it going to be 10 or 11 million? If, if he wanted to maximize, he'd mm-hmm. sign a three-year deal for 10 million and then you know or a two year deal and then come back and you know when the cap has had a few years to go up and you've had a few better years you you're, you're going to have even more thrown at you and you know there's there's lots of cases where you know even even older players you know if you're 27 do you sign an eight year deal knowing that you're going to be 35 at the end of it or do you sign a three year deal mm-hmm. knowing that you can probably maybe get a six or seven year deal at the end of that. Like I wonder how much, how many conversations happen between players and agents where they sort of sit down and go over scenarios and say, you know, we, we actually get maximum value out of doing it this way. Or if it's just automatic, they just get me the longest deal, lock me in. I don't want to have to deal with this and,
2: yeah, the stress of having to do that every off season would probably be not worth it if you're only making a couple million extra. Like if if it works out over those 10 years mm-hmm. you get 65 instead of 58. Like is that really worth yeah. the 3 years of going? The thing it, I the thing I think be. about too is is how MLB free agency went this summer and how basically all the teams you can't say they colluded because I guess they can't prove that, but all these guys like who had to settle for You know, one year deals when in the past they were getting five and a hundred. Suddenly all Mm -hmm. the teams were just like, well, you know, we want to go cheap talent and tanking and blah, 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 blah. Like, what if NHL owners saw this and were like, wow, if, if, you know, we could hold out and let Mike Moustakis get a one year, $7 million deal. Why can't we do that with John Carlson this summer? So in a way too, like you, you want to take the guaranteed money because you don't necessarily know what the UFA market will be in three years. Maybe at that mm-hmm. point, the NHL owners will have gotten together and be like, we're never going to pay a UFA more than 3 million a year. You know, you never know.
0: There, there may, you yeah, know, there's going to be a new CBA in a few years. There's, yeah. there's any number. So I, I get why they do it. And, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I, I can, I can totally sympathize, but yeah. I mean, if you, if, if your goal was to not even to maximize your money, but to, you know, to maximize control, like, you know, did, you know, if you're John Tavares, do you, do you grab the eight-year deal? Or do you say, I want to go somewhere for yes, two years or one metro, year metro. and yeah. yeah and yeah, then, you know, awesome. and then see where it goes. Cause that's the other thing. You signed an eight-year deal. You're, you're kind of stuck with that team. You're there for eight years. You don't have, I mean, you have, some control but you know you can ask for a trade but then you're the bad guy and versus sign a shorter deal and say okay you know every couple years you know le- like lebron does in the nba i mean this guy yeah. i don't really follow the nba but i know lebron's the best player and he seems to be a free agent every single year
2: <laughs> it's true like every two years he opts out of his deal and then yeah. it gets like way more and the way the nba uh, the salary structure is with the new TV deal like guys are getting paid insane amounts of money so it just makes sense because like five years ago they, they weren't making anything close than they were making now and the NHL might be kind of the same thing now because the cap is mm-hmm. going to go up two straight years but like you said the CBA is going to be up in two years and who knows what Devilish things the owners are going to do at that point to screw the players and oh you know what though the cap is at ninety one we're, we're we're looking for some more cost certainty and we we think it'd be better if the cap opened up in the twenty one season with with uh, sixty two million instead and then nobody gets paid again for another seven years until they do the next lockout God I hate the NHL I hate thinking about lockouts every five years Sean Ugh. oh oh yeah no it's
0: it, but but you know what there is going to be and it's it's already happening like a a reshaping of how hockey contracts get handed out. Like the days where your first contract is super cheap. Your second contract is like a bridge deal. That's also cheap. And that's basically the first five or six years of your career, which is also your prime years for, Mm -hmm. for a lot of players. And then when you're 30, you cash in on a massive contract, even though you're already in decline, let alone where you're going to be at the end of the deal. I, I mean, I I know we could have said this a couple of years ago too, but I mean, how many times around the league do you have to see teams fall into the Milan lucci trap, or <laughs> name any number of other guys That's before amazing. somebody goes, you know what, maybe seven and eight year deals to guys in their thirties—that's
1: not good—isn't
0: the way we should do it? And maybe you know, maybe we have to be willing to do what it—it it sure seems like the Maple Leafs are going to do with a guy like James Van Riemsdyk, where you say. You know what? We're gonna get all the production we can out of the guy while he's on a, a good, reasonable—you know—in his case, better than reasonable contract. And then when he's about to turn thirty and ready to hit UFA, we just have to let him walk. We have to be willing to do that rather than get pressured into. Next thing you know, you give him eight years at you know whatever the the, the cap hit doesn't even really matter at that point. You're locked in for eight years on a guy that history tells you is going to be effective for three or four. Versus, you know, do, you, but I, but but I do wonder mm-hmm. who is going to be the first player in that situation who says, you know what, I'll take a two-year deal. You're going to pay huge mm-hmm. for yeah. two years, and then I'll, you know, I'll I'll because I believe that I'm going to put up two more very good seasons, and there's going to be as much of a market for me
2: then with a bigger cap, and and I'll get even more. See that like that would be my thing if I was Don Fear because like you said. NHL players their peak years are basically the entry level RFA years where you have no control and I have no problem with owners or GMs and people like that getting together when a guy's 29 and saying well it's stupid to pay him you know 7 years and 50 million when by the time he's 32 this is going to be the worst contract in hockey but that's where the problem is is that if you're not going to get paid in your prime and you're not going to get paid when you're on the downside you're not going to get paid so I don't know what they'd have to do. It'd probably be the most longest drag-out lockout we've had, but there's something really weird about a league where, you know, Nikita Kucherov is coming off of a year that he had last year, whatever it was, two years ago, and then he had to settle for the RFA deal because he has no power, even though he's one of the five best players in the league. And then once this current deal's up and it's like, all right, time to get paid – He's going to be, yeah. what, 31, 32? And then it's like, why Why should I pay you now? Because your best years are behind you. And that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense what happens between the ages of 21 and 28. That's really Yeah, and, bad. That, and
0: that's where the shift has to happen. It's in those those years where... And, and we've kind of seen it. I mean, you know, obviously, McDavid and Michael and guys like that are the, elite, are the exception.
2: Yeah, the elite but, the elite guys are fine. The top, like those but guys... But I think you'll,
0: but, you'll start to see it drift down to the, the other guys, too. Because people have to remember, like when we say, you know, don't give guys in their 30s, 8-year deals with 6 or 7 million dollar cap hits. Sometimes people go, "Okay, well, but you know, the then then that's less money for the players." There is no less yeah. money for the players. Right. In, in right. a 50-50 salary cap world, they get 50% of the revenue. All you can do is shift money around as to who gets it. So if, you know, if if the owners all got together, which they they can't do cuz it's collusion, but let's say they did, they said, "We're not going to do this for guys over 30 that's not taking money out of the players pocket it's taking money out of some specific players who would be in that age range and looking for those contracts but the players collectively don't make one dollar less in that scenario because that's how the cap works it's just like how the escrow kicks in when they make too much if if the number comes down that still funnels back to the players so you know it's just a question of figuring out how do you how do you hand this money out? And yeah, maybe it's that these guys on their second and third deals should be, should be making more. But part of that is the players have to be willing to, you know, let that third deal come when you're 24 and not when you're 30, because you signed an eight year deal as soon as you got out of your entry level contract, unless you're an elite Connor McDavid type player where you're going to get a monster contract no matter what. So you might as well just, just sign it and, and be done with it.
2: Well, we're at the halfway point. It's a time to take a little break, and when we come back, I believe we're going to do two things. I believe we're going to tell you who will and will not get fired among some of the coaches and 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 GMs who have not been fired since technically no coaches or GMs have been fired this season. The one GM who we felt was doing a bad job or the team felt was doing a bad job technically got promoted in a way, so I don't know how that works. And then uh You know, we'll look over the schedules here coming up. We got a few days left. There's some playoff races in the East, kind of technically. The West is still kind of fun, even though St. Louis pooped the bed last night. And um, hopefully we will give you all the correct um, information. You can bet on it and win a lot of money. So we'll be right back after this.
1: The number one financial destination, YahooFinance.com.
2: So, people have not been fired from jobs this year, and personally, I think it's because everyone's just doing such a great job. That's just what it is, you know. It's the only explanation is the NHL, man. Yeah. You
0: gotta—it's—it's it's all about winning. So
2: clearly, I guess everybody's winning. Everyone's winning. Everyone's- Congratulations to everyone in the league you know if there there's there are some there I believe Buffalo has wrapped up the number 1 lottery uh slot but that that that's just what they're trying to do that that's just good coaching that's just good general managing that's why no one's been fired but all this seems to mean is that once the season ends, the guillotine's going to come down in, in, in great quantity. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose their heads uh, probably not long after the season, not long after the weekend, before we even come back on and do another podcast next week. So, yes. we, so we've got about 10 names here, coaches, and we're going to look at the GMs too, probably on some of those teams. And we're going to tell you if they're going to be fired or not. Yep. And we're going to be right.
0: The, the, the NFL has its Black Monday and the NHL, I don't know if it'd be Black Monday or Black Sunday or how it'll work but I think by the time we're doing this next Tuesday mm-hmm. I don't know what the over under is but I feel like a half dozen
2: yeah I was gonna say seven.
0: Of I, seven
2: I think yeah. I take I take the over but I don't know are we talking GMs and coaches or just coaches yeah I was saying GMs and coaches oh yeah I take the over for sure okay. they have to they have to be let's start right, well, let's, let's start look, on the list yeah let's start here let's start in in, in the greatest city in the world um uh, Sunrise. am no, only really kidding. New York City. Apparently, it's the greatest city in the world. I, I live here. I don't really get it. I don't know. It seems fine. But Elaine Vigneault. He yeah. he seems like I don't think Jeff Gordon's going anywhere. But Elaine Vigneault. He he has that demeanor of a guy who who knows that it's coming in the way he answers questions and stuff. So I think he should be fired, and it's just time to kind of start over here with the Rangers. And I think he's he's inevitable. He's definitely going to be one. I
0: I think uh, I think he goes. He's actually one of the relatively few coaches in the league right now who was not hired by his current GM, mm-hmm. which is always a, a a warning sign. And I think you look at what uh, what Jeff Gordon did with this team this year, with with basically fast tracking towards a rebuild, even given that they were still in the playoff hunt. Uh, this is a guy who clearly has some some plans for for changing things, and I I can't imagine that keeping a coach who's, I mean, he's been on the job for. Yeah, since for for a while. Since thirteen, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I it's, yeah, he's he's five five years. I mean, that's that's about the shelf life of a, of a coach. I I would be very surprised if Elaine
2: Vigneault is back. Joel Quenville, a guy who I for some reason keep seeing his name in that in that conversation, and uh, I don't know necessarily this year's his fault, but Joel Quenville. Will Joel Quenville be back next year, Sean?
0: Here's here's my here's why I'm hesitant to put him on our black Monday list is I think that either him or Stan Bowman has to go in Chicago Mm. just because it, it doesn't sound like that relationship is, is really working anymore. The fact that Chicago had the season they had gives Stan Bowman a, a pretty obvious opening here to, to make a change without it looking completely like it was about personality. Uh, so I would I certainly wouldn't be surprised in fact i I suspect Joel Quenville will go the the reason I'm hesitant is I could see this being a situation where there's a bit of a delay where there has to be some some evaluation of of everyone including Stan Bowman and that maybe he has to wait until he knows that he still has a job before he makes he gets the green light to go and, and make his change behind the bench So mm. my prediction there. Mm is I think Bowman stays, I think Quenville goes, but I'm going to say maybe not until a few weeks into the offseason.
2: I agree with everything you've said. I do agree that there's some sort of weird Bowman-Quenville disconnect there. But while I could see Joel Quenville getting fired, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. I, I find it just hard to believe that after all the success they've had, they have one year where Corey Crawford's hurt all year, um... You know, Joel Quenville didn't sign Brent Seabrook to this contract. Stan Bowman did, and Stan yeah. Bowman's not going to fire himself for it. So I think they're. I think they both get a reprieve. It's just a one-year thing where they can pin it on the goalie and ownership says, yeah. let's let's bring both guys back.
0: I, but- I, I think. I mean, if it's up to ownership, I think you bring both guys back. I think it's more that you know, I I don't think that they. I mean, the the relationship's been bad for a few years. Reportedly, I we've. I mean, Joel Quenville was rumored to be on the hot seat, even when things were good. And remember there was that whole thing last year where they fired his, his assistant coach, mm-hmm. and best friend, Mike Kitchen with, without, you know, uh, without his input. And uh, you know, that was viewed as, as basically the warning shot that he, he was next. Um. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, if I'm Joel Quenville, there may be part of me that says, you know what, I've been here 10 years. I know I, I can have my pick of any job in the league if I want it. Maybe, you know what, go ahead, make the change, and I'll be this this summer's Mike Babcock situation where I can basically name my team and name my mm-hmm. price and, yeah. and go get a fresh start somewhere else. I know that's easy to say from the outside. You're talking about you know packing up, moving your family after 10 years and all that, and there's something to be said for stability, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it just seems to make sense for everyone involved and then Stan Bowman can pick his own coach and then now he's the guy on the hot seat
2: going forward. That does, it's one of those two things. I don't, they both won't go. Stan won't, won't be the only guy who goes, but that one will be interesting. Bill Peters, my boy, my 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 Jeff Fisher of NHL coaches. Ron Francis was yes. reassigned, and now Bill Peters, apparently, uh, according to Darren Dreger, it, Bill, Bill Peters is going to coach the Canadian team at the World Championships, right. because if you can get a guy like Bill Peters with all of his postseason success, you have to get him behind the bench of your international squad. Here's here's my Bill Peters, and I
0: don't know if this story made its way down uh to you guys in the states but it was it was mentioned on uh on their on hockey nine canada it, that this report came out that bill peters apparently has an exit clause in his contract hmm. that he could trigger this year because uh, <laughs> i guess he's got a year or 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 maybe more left on his deal but that he can get out and you know i get why that's a story i mean that's an interesting thing you don't you don't hear about that very often but it's like wh- yeah like, yeah, like Bill Peters is going to, he's going to pull the shooting right? and and hit that open market. That reminds because, me
2: that reminds me of um, Ian Kennedy in baseball signed like a five-year $60 million deal with the, with the Royals and his first year was great. And then last year he was terrible. But after last year, he had the option to opt out and somebody was like, you're you going to opt out? And he was like, are you kidding me? I was terrible last year. Why would I throw away $30 million? Yeah.
0: Like a coach who hasn't made the playoffs in four years is going to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm out and just... Where's the line form? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just found any, any thought that there was any intrigue on that pretty, pretty funny. I mean, the, the, I think he stays because it sounds like yeah. the new owner likes him. And normally I'd say, well, you got to wait till the new GM comes in because the new GM gets to decide on the coach. But I'm not sure that's how they're doing it in Carolina. Uh, I, it feels like the owner is in charge. So I, I'll say this if Bill Peters does opt out, <laughs> there is your huge, huge, red flag about you know even bigger than what we've had so far about what's going on in carolina under tom dundon and his his ownership situation because if a coach who hasn't made the playoffs in four years bails out of a contract that still has time left to run on it oh that's 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 <laughs> ugly but i think he stays i think he's i think he's safe just based on everything yeah. that,
2: that we've heard. I think if they were going to do it, they would have done it at the same time. as They should do it. They should absolutely do it. They should... They should. I mean, and also, I, I think a lot of this too kind of depends on if the Blackhawks do fire Joel Quenville because I think it'll be like a Bruce Boudreaux thing where teams will be like, oh, we can get Joel Quenville. What do we have downstairs? And you look downstairs and there's Bill Peters like trying to figure out how to do yeah. Corsi and he's like, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. But mm-hmm. I, I think he's... I think he stays, even though
0: he should. He's, he's been there four years, which I know doesn't sound very long, but there's only four coaches in the league that yeah. have been around longer than the 2014 off season when Bill Peters was was hired. So, and and two of those are Vino and Quenville. So, I mean, he's he's getting into the territory where he's one of the longest serving coaches. hasn't lost a playoff game, so he's got that going for him.
2: Phil Housley stays, right? Like it's only been one year and. I, I, I feel like you have to. You have I mean, to right? In, in Buffalo,
0: I, I know everyone's. Everyone keeps asking what I would do to fix Buffalo, and I don't really have a good answer. But I, I, it just that would feel panicky to me. Same, you know. Same with Rick Tockett in Arizona. Like I, I don't. Yeah. It's her first I year. I think I think you got to give. You got to give a coach at least two years, unless you know something really bizarre and out of the ordinary has
2: happened. So, Guy Boucher. Guy Boucher gone? Does Guy Boucher force his way out? Is he like, yeah, I can't do this anymore?
0: I don't... Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who didn't seem like he was necessarily going to be back in the NHL until he came to Ottawa. The, the, the question for me is always, are the Senators willing to pay two coaches at the same time?
2: Mm, that the, is true.
0: The The rumor around here is has has always been that, that Guy Boucher is one of the lowest paid coaches in the league if not the lowest paid which sounds somewhat strange given how good a job he's done but um so you know maybe maybe if they feel like they need to make a change and do something um but i'm i'm going to lean towards him staying
2: i say stays because if they're going to tear it down and trade Carlson and Bobby Ryan in the summer and they're not going to have anything there it's not going to be an appealing job for anybody so what are they going to fire him for to get some assistant coach who is going to be overmatched in his first, yeah, they'll, they'll, I, I don't really blame this season on guy Boucher, so I'm, I'll say, no. I'll say he stays. Um, Doug Waite. I only put Doug Waite on this list because he, it's his first year. The Islanders stink. The goaltending stinks. But when he was the, when he was the interim the year before, there was a talk of how he was kind of torn between being an, an AGM, a front office guy, or a coach. And he said, "Okay, I'll be the coach this year." So I'm wondering if, if one full year behind the bench, Doug waits like, "Yeah, you know what? I kind of want to be in my office. This, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. I, I kind of got overwhelmed." And they let him go the same way they kind of let Ron Francis go, and just say, "Hey, we'll stick around, but we're gonna get a new coach." That's that's kind of what maybe. I think might happen,
0: or maybe even move back up to the front office. I mean, we have seen that yeah, happen that's in the past. I mean. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I still, I, you know, I know we've talked about this, but. I still feel like at some point with the Islanders there has to be like the the sweeping change. There there has to be a new GM, new coach, everything. And and you think new ownership at some point. I know we've talked about, you know, what does Garson's contract look like with, but at some point you, you know, you, you just eat it. that yeah. just eat that money and you Blow just move forward. The Islanders are another team where I could see there being some hesitancy to make that change like i mean if if you want to fire garce know do you do it at the end of the season knowing or not knowing what that might do to the john taveras uh contract situation and you know is that going to just be one more thing that pushes him away or would it maybe not be maybe he's maybe john Tavares. i mean i i'm basically finding a way to sit down with john taveras and going what do you want us to do here yeah Right, because I, I think he's a lot more important to that organization than the coach or the GM
2: So I think he's going to go. Jeff Blashel, I, I was really under the impression that he was for sure gone because I thought him and Kenny Holland were going to leave at the same time but now it seems like Kenny Holland is going to want to hang out a little bit longer. Yeah. I thought he would get the bump upstairs to like president of whatever and then they would start I, I've over. I've assumed but, that
0: all along but know. according to reports it sounds like he may stick around and I and my first thought is if Ken Holland sticks around, then you fire the coach so that you've at least changed something. Hmm. But the flip side of that is how, if you're Ken Holland and you stick around, how do you then fire somebody else and say, well, yeah, you didn't get the job done in the, in the what, two or three years you were here, but I'm going to stick around for years 21 plus. <laughs> because I was awesome in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, you yeah. know, maybe detroit could be a situation where everybody like it shouldn't be they like ken holland it, it's it's time for new eyes in detroit um but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say holland stays and and
2: blazel goes i agree that's my take even,
0: yeah i'm kind of you can hear i'm not totally convinced but i'm that's yeah let's go with that
2: claude claude and bergevin both back. According, I think according to reports, Mark Bergevin is back. I think they're both back. I mean you, I, I wouldn't yeah. fire Claude after his first full year or anything, but I no. mean it's 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 if if you lose your GM, then you never know what's gonna happen. But if if they're not gonna lose their GM, they're not gonna lose their coach. Yeah. What a team. There's and, and yeah, it's, it, it hasn't been
0: long and, and you gotta remember it's Montreal. There's there's kind of this de facto rule that they have to have a French head coach which narrows down their Yeah. So it's pretty much yeah, Claude
2: Julian or Pepe Le Pew are the two options for the coach at this point
0: exactly so I don't know unless unless somebody else shakes free I know I mean I, I Claude Julian shouldn't be in danger it's it's Bergevin who should be, but according to the reports we've seen out of Montreal he's
2: not so good stuff what a sport look with that in Montreal Glenn Gullitson. I think he's. I think he has to go, but I don't think he's gonna go. I think it's the same. It's 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 amazing how so many of these coaches are basically just like starting out and they've had a bad year. And I'm like, I'm ready to kind of, I'm ready to kind of move on. And I know you shouldn't do that in sports. You want stability. You want to have a guy behind the bench who you know is gonna be there, and you don't want to have a lame duck, uncertain situation. But I think like when you're when you're doing the performative anger thing more than once during the course of a season of practice, like maybe maybe you're overmatched. That's just yeah. my take.
0: And and didn't get any sort of response for it. None. There was that I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a piece a couple days ago, I think Eric Francis in Calgary had where um he he interviewed Brad Trelving and basically the the you know what what went wrong this season. And it, it was a very a very NHL GM type of interview because it wasn't, you know, we don't have enough skill. It wasn't we don't you we didn't get enough good players. It was all character and compete level and we're not hard enough to play against and we we basically basically rolled over when things were tough and and kind of accused his own team of being mentally fragile mm-hmm. which it you know that doesn't reflect well certainly on the players and and the leadership group but I, that also seems like the sort of thing that that falls on a coach and uh, calgary still is kind of a very old school type organization you know brian burke still president there and i could I, I think they make a move here. Me too. Two more: Barry Trotz, Tom McClellan. Let's let's do let's do them quick. I say uh, Barry Trotz. You know he's obviously safe at the end of the season. It'll depend on the playoffs. I think if they go out in the first or second round, I I wouldn't be shocked to see them make a change. I wouldn't if
2: I were them. But there's just been so much smoke there that I think there has to be a fire. I may or may not have written a thing this week where I have talked myself into the Caps making a run in the playoffs this year again because I'm stupid yep. and I fall for it every year.
0: You know what? I and I do it every year too. And uh, uh, it's different, this but it's, year. It's,
2: it's some year it's going to happen, and
0: then we're all going to say,
2: "Well, yeah, of course." The pressure was off; they weren't the favorites anymore. There's that. They have. They have. Like I, I, I don't want to re- re- do the whole entire thing. I but like I, I just like the fact that. They're not the team this year. They're kind of like they have 105 points and no one's really mentioning them. Philip Grubauer, mm-hmm. the fact that neither goaltender, whoever they go with, if they do the thing like the Penguins did and they just ride Grubauer until he hits a wall and then put in Braden Holpe, neither guy's been overworked this year. The Penguins aren't the same Penguins. Oh. If they're I don't okay. know. I just I, Here, I got a here's feeling. Here's my prediction. I feel like if the Capitals could beat the Penguins in the playoffs, they win the Stanley Cup that year. Mm-hmm. And or what, not... or what if what if what if they don't play them? What if they go like they Jersey yeah, and then? I, I feel
0: like it's kind of at this point it's it's starting to feel like one of those slay the dragon type things where you you almost just kind of have to you know maybe it's not maybe it's I can see it. I can totally uh, and see it. and there's still you know right now it it wouldn't take a lot of weird things to happen in the standings for Pittsburgh to actually drop down to the wild card. Right. I know we get the match in the first round. I, I Which just,
2: I, I think they can do it.
0: I think to can. me, if you're Washington, bring it on! Like let let's do it early. Let's not do the the whole dance where we gotta wait till the second round. Let's let's go. Let's uh, you know let's let's have the challenge. But uh, yeah, you know, I think yeah. I mean, Trotz obviously isn't isn't in that kind of Black Monday group, but I would hold on to him. But uh, I don't know. Washington
2: always feels weird. They they take all their playoff losses so so hard. If they lose, lose. In the first, if they lose in the first round, I think they can him. But I think anything beyond that, they don't. Because the expectations this year weren't what they were two years ago. So if he basically gets the team as far as he did when the team wasn't as good as it was two years ago or last year, then I don't know how you fire him. But I think if they lose in the first round, they fire him. But I'm sitting here telling you they're going to the conference finals this year. Early Biscuits wow. playoff preview. They're going to do it. I feel it. This is the year. I'm Charlie Brown running towards the football, and this is the time I <laughs> kick it, my friend. I feel it. What about Todd. Yeah. We Todd McClellan. I think McClellan and Chiarelli go together, or they don't go at all. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna say
0: that they stay. Uh, I'm like 60-40 on that, but i I feel like the, I feel like in the middle of the season there was a lot of talk about them going, and and even felt like it could happen midseason, but it feels like things have sort of stabilized a bit there, and I could see it being a, a situation where they're they're probably on very thin ice heading into next year. Uh, but I think I think they keep the band together.
2: So the playoff races. In the yep. east, by the time you hear this, well, this will come out today, so it'll still be it'll still be uh it's Thursday this week as opposed to Tuesday. And weirdly, even though we, we told everybody that we were gonna record Thursday on the last podcast, people were asking yesterday where the podcast was. And it's like, guys, come on, come on. We told you we we we, we Sean had to Sean had to go to South Carolina, which is apparently That's the right. home of the Carolina hurricanes. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. Yes. <laughs> How do, how do you how do you feel like it's gonna see in the East? I don't rule out Florida just yet. Like Florida's in a tough spot because they play Boston mm-hmm. twice and they play Buffalo. But I if think they go Boston
0: twice, but Boston, yeah, the but, second game yeah. may not matter. Right? Like you, the second game is that snow game, so it's the only game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So everything else will be settled, and, and Boston will know whether they whether they need to to care or not. Which, by the way, as just as a as an embittered Leafs fan. I'm still holding out hope that it comes down to Florida, New Jersey, and New Jersey needs Boston to actually try on the last day of the season, <laughs> and they don't, and they start the backup goalie and all the other stuff because because uh, that was the exact situation in 2007 when the Leafs needed the Devils to beat the Islanders, and the Devils oh, just mailed it in. Here we go, holding so, on to those grudges. Oh, I'm I'm holding on tight. So 11 <laughs> years of making that's that's my scenario, but I, it doesn't look like that's happening. It's actually Philadelphia that's that's kind of in. Yeah, so Philadelphia, New Jersey.
2: Philly has Carolina and the Rangers. The Devils have your boys, Toronto, and the Caps, and Florida has Boston twice and Buffalo once. So if Florida goes 2-0-1, that gets them to 95. That would get them ahead of Philly. And if the Devils go 0-2, and they have two games they could lose in regulation, those aren't going to be easy. The Caps might do the same thing. They might take off the last game because they're going to be all set anyway. Mm -hmm. But Florida looks dead, but I – The the Flyers basically need to go one and one against two non-playoff teams and the Devils need to not pick up a point, pretty much. Although that's not enough. Because if 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 they need two
0: points to clinch.
2: Yeah, Florida goes three and oh and the Devils go oh one and one, Florida gets it. What I want is Florida and and the Flyers to have that crazy tie where they have the same points, same regulation overtime wins, same goal differential. I want a coin flip. I want I want to see I want to see Bill Daly on NHL Network just miserable flipping a coin his
0: heads, But you know, the NHL, they do that behind the scenes somewhere and just put out a press release. Like they wouldn't even. Yeah. But it would just be funny. It bounces off the the table. And then broadcast it, but broadcast it in like super slow motion. Yeah. So we just watch it like for half an hour, you just watch this coin rotate in the air and try to figure out whether that's good or bad. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what would scare me a little bit if I was the Panthers? Like I know they're playing the Bruins twice, but now they got to play the Sabres and the Sabres have already clinched dead last.
2: So, so it's like now that now the
0: Sabres can just go, screw it. We can actually go out there and, and be a spoiler to someone. So, I, you know, that game would scare me a bit too. But that's, yeah. I, I mean, we're kind of clinging to that race a little bit because it's not. It's not real. There, there's a very good chance that we don't get that, that that's settled even tonight. St. Louis,
2: Colorado. Who
0: does it? That's the good one. Who does it? That's the good one. And so Anaheim and uh, L.A. are in. They're in. As of last night. Colorado is one point up on St. Louis and they both have two games left, including playing each other last on the day final of night of the season, which could end up basically being a playoff game. Not necessarily. Colorado, Colorado's in San Jose tonight. Uh, if the, and the sharks do have something to play for home ice, but they've got Anaheim right behind them in LA. So, uh, that's going to be a tough one, but if Colorado wins and then St. Louis loses against the Blackhawks tomorrow, then the it's race over. is over
2: and Colorado's in and St. Louis is out. What happens if What happens if they both lose in regulation their next game, and then the final game of the year? St. Louis goes in down a point and they win in a shootout, and they both have yeah. the same amount well, of wins. What's the tiebreaker? Depending, depending
0: there? on depending on what happens in the next game, there's there's scenarios in play where you could either have a, a case where one team needed to win that last game, but they needed to win it regulation. Or you could have a case where a team needed to win in overtime, uh, but not in the shootout, which means we could get the ultra rare goalie pull in overtime. Yeah, that's where you risk the point. That, that negates the loser point. That would be a great way to end the season with a non-loser point overtime loss. But yeah, there, there's, there's a few situations there because... They've got right now, they've got the same number of wins in regulation. So that, tie, that's the first tiebreaker. And that would depend, well, I guess it depends what happens in the next game. So that, uh, that, that could come into play mm-hmm. if, if, for, you know, if St. Louis loses their next game, if Colorado loses tonight in overtime, they pick up a point, they're two points up. Then St. Louis would just need the win in regulation. they, win the tiebreaker i believe st louis also holds the next tiebreaker which is head-to-head record i -hmm. think they've won three out of four so st louis is in decent shape for the tiebreaker but colorado's obviously got the extra point on them right now and then the other thing is colorado plays tonight which means they've got tomorrow off before the saturday game whereas st louis will be doing second half of a back-to-back
2: thing I think Colorado's going to get it. I think St. Louis screwed yeah. themselves last night with the Chicago loss. They get a point out of that. I, I like their chances, but they, they're going to have yep. to go into Colorado, right? The last game's in Colorado. So they're, I think they're going to be screwed, which, you know, it's fine. I want McKinnon to get in. I want the Devils to get in. And I want us to bitch about the thing we're not going to talk about the entire postseason. Yes. Let's uh, do two quick questions because we got to get the heck out of this. I got to get the heck out of this studio. Um, the one question I like is from Brady McIsaac. Ah, oh, Brady McIsaac. I love all the names that I get for mailback questions. They all sound like good names to say in Irish accents. Were you guys grumpy and angry before writing for hockey, or is it a result of years of frustration? Would you be this full of anger writing for other sports? That's an interesting question. Was I this miserable before I started writing about hockey for a living? I... I feel like writing about hockey has increased my my cynic my cynicalness by like twenty five percent. Like I'm not saying I, I wasn't walking around like, boy, look how great the rainbow and sky is today, everybody. But I, I was definitely not this beaten down by by my job. That's for sure. I feel like it's. I don't think it's writing about hockey that does it. I think it's thinking about hockey. Yes,
0: right, exactly. When when I was younger, like I was like as I was ready to be as bitter and angry, but. When something in the NHL did something stupid, I could just go, eh, I'm not, I'll think about something else and I'll go watch the NFL or do whatever else. Whereas now you can't turn it off. So
2: no, it sucks. I don't know.
0: I mean, but yeah, certainly you go back in a time machine, find me in the 90s or like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago I'm and, and ask me if anything is bothering me. <laughs> It would just about be different the NHL. stuff. Would I'm be pretty sure things. I wouldn't have.
2: I wouldn't have been like, no, it's it's dandy. This is this guy makes the worst poutine ever. He doesn't put enough curds on there. This guy's why would you put more curds on there? All right, 1997, Sean. Whatever you say. Stop being so grumpy about the poutine. Hey. you have one question you want to pick? Oh, cause of, cause of oh okay, no, it's up to you. Yeah, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna. I don't want to I don't want to hog the questions this week. I know, I know. You usually have one reserved that you like, and I don't want to.
0: Everybody keeps sending us questions like, "What
2: is wrong with my team, and how do you fix it?" <laughs> Pay me six figures, and I'll go run your team for you, and I'll solve it for you. Uh, I'm scrolling through, but if you've got a good one, go ahead. Ken Hitchcock, would you fire Ken Hitchcock? I'd fire Ken Hitchcock. No, it's not his fault drop- or anything, but I just think the game has passed him by at this point. I would, uh, I would hold on to him. I think he's good. Um. All right. Let's see. All right. Uh, how about Austin Taylor? Are you anticipating any unexpected first round chokes in the playoffs? Would you consider Vegas losing a choke? I feel like. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't think anybody losing in the
0: first round is really a choke. But yeah, I think I, I like. I did a piece at the beginning of the season that I called "Predicting the Predictions," where I was basically like, "Look, when when people make predictions, they don't." predict what they really think is going to happen they predict along certain lines where like you have to have a certain number of upsets and you have to have a certain number of changes and i can tell you it one of the rules when you're predicting the playoffs is you have to have at least one upset you got to have one division leader going out in the first round and i got a feeling everybody's going to be picking that's going to be the trendy upset Vegas, is for Vegas to yeah. go in the first round. you know what like, especially if they wind up playing like LA or Anaheim or somebody like that
2: I like I know I've been so pro Nashville forever this season. I I don't know, man. Like these, the Nashville, Tampa, Pittsburgh, my my three teams, my my, my triumvirate of of championshipness. I, I I'm so not high on anymore. Like I feel like they're so vulnerable. But when I pick Nashville to lose in the first round against like Colorado, I don't know. I don't know if that would happen. Or because like Nashville's gonna play either Colorado or St. Louis, right? That's right. right. For sure. So uh, no, actually, saying, yeah. It- in theory, like Winnipeg could still catch them or whatever, but that's that's definitely the most likely like I, scenario. Like I can't see, I could see Nashville losing to LA if Nashville played LA at this point, but I don't know. I'm I'm also again, I'm also still wary about Boston. I'm worried about these teams like Nashville and Boston that peak super early, not super early, but they peak for a long time with like you know 30 games to go, and then like the last 10, they're just kind of like I'm exhausted from all the winning, and then the first round comes yeah. and boom, they get hit in the face. But I'm just not sure that that would feel like a choke. It would be an upset, but yeah choke is probably too strong like like if boston play so boston's probably going to play either philly i guess well the metro is still kind of fluid but like say if boston plays pittsburgh in the first round somehow and they lose to pittsburgh that's not really a choke you're playing the two-time defending champions and you lose exactly just
0: Uh, one other question i just want to read this one we don't even have to discuss
2: it i just it's it's so
0: (laughs) it's it's so cold that i just had to ryan dunn uh wants to know uh if if your team is playing a must-win, your team is playing a must-win game. Who would you rather have as your top pairing right-shot defenseman, Adam Larson or Taylor <laughs> Hall using a right-handed stick? <laughs> wow! I mean, Taylor, Hall, way, Taylor Mike, Hall does
2: work the point on the power play, so it's not totally foreign to him. Based on his little Twitter
0: picture, Ryan is a Capitals fan, so enjoy that Oiler fan. You're getting trash-talked
2: by Washington Capitals fans a guy a guy who's gone a guy who's seen his team go to the third round as often as taylor hall's been to the playoffs that's that's good well that's all the time we have for this week we'll be back on the regular schedule next week we'll we'll i'm assuming we'll we'll spend the hour telling you uh why your playoff team's gonna lose and why it was good that your coach and gm were fired but we'll cross that bridge in a few days um i already told you that I'm, i'm i'm writing about the caps this week and I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I know I'm stupid. You can call me stupid and it's fine. I understand it, but I'm, I'm totally on board with the caps and, uh, you know, iTunes five stars, but follow the vice biscuits. That's where we throw up podcast and stuff like that. And that's, uh, that's all I have to say. Thanks for, thanks for being good readers for our, for our podcast.
0: Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. See ya.